I invite you to turn to Psalm 40 for a little springboard to the message this morning. As you all know, this is our Hymn Sing Sunday. I mentioned that already. And so we're thinking about singing. And so I would like to bring a message this morning about singing, about music, about song. Did you know that our God is a singing God? I find that fascinating to consider that. Our God is a singing God. I I wonder what part he sings best. (laughs) Well, of course, uh, that's not a good way to put it because he could sing all of them best, I'm sure. But I don't know. Perhaps we, we hear God singing in many ways, in many areas of life. In nature, we hear God singing, no doubt. But the scripture says that God joys over his people with singing. Now, if God can sing over someone like me, if God can sing over someone like you, how much more should we be singing over him? Does he not deserve our greatest praise, our greatest adoration, and our song? He truly does. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. We would like to think for a few moments this morning about the Christian song, about the new song. And we could title the message, Purposes of the New Song. And the goal of this message is not to give an exhaustive list of the purposes of the Christian song, I'll be sharing only a sampling of what the scripture has to say about it. However, I trust that with the Spirit's help, it will be enough to inspire you and to cause you to think more deeply about the song that should be an inseparable part of the Christian's life. The song that should be an inseparable part of your life. Now, before we look into the purposes of the new song, it is important that we have an understanding of what is meant by the new song. The new song. Scripture uses that phrase different times. I believe we find that phrase, new song, nine different times in Scripture. For example, Psalm 144.9, I will sing a new song unto thee, O God, upon a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings will I sing praises unto thee. Psalm 149.1, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of saints. 
One more, Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. And of course, here in in Psalm 40, David said that he responded with a new song because of what God had done for him. Now, it's helpful to note the meaning of the word new because of the implication that it leaves. New. We're talking about a new song. And that word new has to do with new in quality. It's new in freshness. A fresh new song. In other words, it implies that there is also an old song. It implies that there is a song that is much cheaper. A song that is stale (laughs) in comparison to this new song that God gives. And so, no, we're not talking about a song that is brand new in, in the sense that it was just written recently. That's not what we're talking about. Not that kind of new We're talking about a song that is a part of a new person. A person that has been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. A person that is walking in newness of life. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. Do you think that includes your music? Do you think that includes our song? I certainly think it does. You see, since he has experienced a new birth, he is now a new creature, and therefore he has a a new song. And it's a progression that I see different times in Scripture uh, that fascinates me. Well, for example, here in Psalm 40, we read, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. We could refer that to that new birth experience. Setting my feet upon a rock. And then he says, He established my goings. He changed me. And we could refer that to being a a new creature. I'm different inside. I've been changed. And then David writes, he hath put a new song in my mouth. And so we we have that new birth, we have new creature, and we have a new song. And now I realize it's true that these verses may not be speaking directly to David's salvation experience at least spiritual salvation, but it it could be speaking more to his physical deliverance from his enemies. I'm aware of that. However, these verses do give a very clear spiritual picture of our salvation. They do. A book that I've found very, very interesting and very helpful as I've thought about music in life is the book The Battle for Christian Music, written by Tim Fisher. Uh, he has written some, some very good things about music that, that gives some, some real biblical principles behind it. Uh, that's the one, The Battle for Christian Music. He also has one titled Harmony at Home, Tim Fisher. In that, in that book, Battle for Christian Music, he, he notes this, that the word new 
is used in connection with our music more frequently in Scripture than with any other concept in the changed life. I say again, the word new is used in connection with our music more frequently in Scripture than with any other concept in the changed life. I think he says um, there's 24 different times in Scripture when new is, is speaking about something in the changed life, being new, changed life. And nine out of those 24 refer to music or song. I find that fascinating. And so could we not conclude that one of the most visible features of our new life will be our new song, our new music? I ask you, what about your song? What about your music? You see, we sing about the things that are most important to us. And so it's possible to learn what's in a person's heart by listening to their music. It's a picture into their heart. We sing about the things that are most important to us. And so I ask you, is your song, is your music accurately expressing the change that you say has taken place in your life? Or does it give others reason to doubt? Does it cause confusion when they hear your profession but hear your song? Does it cause confusion or does it solidify, yes, I can trust him. That's truth. You know, the new song will not be characterized in any way by the old way of life or by our old master, Satan. But instead, the new song will reflect the nature, the goodness, the greatness, the character of our new master, Jesus Christ. Now, with this foundation laid, let us now consider some purposes for the new song. Why do we sing? Why do you sing? What is the purpose behind it? Well, first of all, we sing to give God glory. We sing to give God glory. As I mentioned, singing is an act of worship. We sing about the things that are important to us. It's about order of importance. It's about priorities in life. We sing about the things that are most important to us, and therefore, it's an act of worship. And since God is at the center of the Christian's desire, then our music, our singing, ought to be directed to Him. You know, one of the greatest distinctions between us and all the other creatures that God has made is our power of speech. Obviously, there's other distinctions as well. But perhaps one of the greatest is our power of speech. And I would suggest this morning that there is no higher and there is, there is no more noble use of our tongues than to bless and honor and praise the name of Jesus Christ through singing. It's a tremendous avenue that we have to exalt his name. The psalmist said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so we sing of what Christ has done for us. We sing about who he is. Turn to Revelation chapter 5 as we ponder this. Revelation 5. And here in this chapter, 
there is something that is very much in focus. And that is a book. There is a book that is in focus here. And as John is having this vision, he notices that there seems to be a problem in heaven. There is a book, he notes, that has some very, very important information. It has very important information. But there's a problem. And this strong angel says in verse 2, Who is worthy to open this book and to loose the seals thereof? This, This book is closed. And there's a call out into heaven for someone that is worthy to open this book and to reveal this valuable information. And we read that John John is weeping because no one is found. They cannot find anyone. And John is crying over this. But then, in verse 5, we note that one of the elders says, John, stop crying. We found someone. We have found someone that is worthy to open this book, to loose its seals. He refers to him as the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and we could say, None other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He is worthy to open this book. And so let's start reading in verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. What a tremendous worship scene in heaven. And what is it over? (laughs) It is over Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy, the one who is worthy to open the book, to reveal that valuable information in the book. Something that no one else was able and was worthy to do. And so I say the theme of this new song, the theme of the Christian's new song is Worthy is the Lamb. Is that the theme of your song? Does your song exalt Jesus Christ as the one who is worthy? Why is he worthy? Verses 9 and 10 speak of that. Because he was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood. That's why he's worthy. And verse 10 goes on to say that he has made us unto our God kings and priests. And that's not just something that we look forward to, but as born-again believers, 
we can reign with Christ as kings and priests. We are part of the family of God. He has given us power as sons and daughters of God. We shall reign on the earth. Certainly the goodness and the greatness of God demands a song from us. Let's note just two other places. Turn back to the Psalms, uh, Psalm 96, Psalm 96, and note what it has to say about giving God glory. Psalm 96, 1 through 4. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised, he is to be feared above all gods. And then, the psalmist goes on to mention in verses 7 and 8, he says, give him glory, because he deserves it. God deserves glory. Give it to him. But once again, why? Why is he worthy? Because he is great. He is greatly to be praised. God is great. And we ought to praise him through song because of his greatness and goodness. Turn over to the, uh, maybe the next page, Psalm 98, and note the first three verses there. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Has God done marvelous things for you? Has he given you victory? The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly shown in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so why do we sing? Well, the psalmist says we sing because our God is a God of victory. We can experience deliverance. We can be saved. He's a God of victory. And truly, God has provided salvation for each one of us. And it should cause us to sing and to praise Him. The great English hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote, Why should the wonders he has wrought be lost in silence and forgot? Why should they? And the resounding answer is, they shouldn't. The great things that God has done should not be forgotten. And that is another purpose we could say of the new song, and I'll have it written down, but it helps us to remember. The new song helps us to remember who God is. It helps us to remember who we are. It helps us to remember where we've been. It helps us to remember where we're headed. The new song. Why should the wonders he has wrought be lost in silence and forgot? They should not, but we ought to sing them. And so we sing, how great thou art. Uh, We sing, I sing the mighty power of God. We sing, this is my father's world. And, And the list could go on and on. But we sing of these things because God deserves glory. In his book, Old Light on New Worship, Uh, John Price writes this, Singing is the natural, spontaneous expression of the wonder of the human soul in the contemplation of God. It is when we see the excellencies of God's character and the glory of his works 
that the soul becomes filled with a sense of awe that must find its natural expression in singing. The thought of God is to produce a joyful celebration in the heart that must flow upward and find its legitimate outlet in the lifting of the voice in praise. Mere words in normal subdued speech would be insufficient and would place too much restraint upon the emotions. The heart would feel too confined and restricted. There must be a fuller opening of the soul and a freer venting of the affections, and this can come only through the voice in singing. In singing, the soul is carried upwards toward its object of praise in the living and true God. True indeed. Singing allows us to do something that mere words cannot do. I truly believe that. There is something tremendously powerful when you match God-honoring words to God-honoring music. (laughs) When you put those two together, there's tremendous power there that I say is unmatched. And certainly the reason that we sing is, is not just about making harmony, not just to hear the beauty of that, although that is very enjoyable indeed. But the Christian sings as a means of, of giving our great God the glory that he is so worthy of. And then we sing to express experience. It's another purpose of the new song. We sing to express experience. We sing to testify what God has done for us uh, in the past, what God is doing for us today in our lives, and what God has promised to do in in the future. Past, present, and future, we sing about experience. And so our our songs are testimonies, really. Our songs are testimonies that say, look, this is what happened to me, or this is what God is doing in my life now, or this is what I've Trust, and I believe by faith, that God will do for me in the future. We sing that as a testimony. And so if you are a born-again believer today, then you truly have much to sing about. You truly do. I mean, consider all the things that God has done for you. Consider how God has blessed you physically. Consider how God has blessed you spiritually. Yes, even consider how God has blessed you financially. And if you don't believe that, just pick up the latest edition of the the CAM newsletter or think back to our presentation of of Kingdom Channels here some weeks ago or look at the latest edition of Voice of the Martyrs or the list go on and on. Look at those things and it will change your perspective. You will come away saying, you know what? I do have much to be grateful for. God has done much for me. Even when I thought I didn't, God has done much for me. You know, singing should be a spontaneous response for the Christian. I really believe it should be a spontaneous response. In other words, it's not something that we have to think about. Oh, let's see, did God do something good for me? Yeah, I guess he did. Okay, what should I do? Oh, I should sing. That's right. No, no that's not how it should go. But, but singing should be a spontaneous response when Christ has done something for us, when God has proved himself faithful, it should result in a heart that sings. And many times in a voice that sings as well. But, you know, as I thought about this, we read of, of a number of illustrations, examples of this in the Bible. Uh, for example, Moses and, and Miriam, 
and the children of Israel. When God had delivered them from Pharaoh's army, they crossed the Red Sea. What was the immediate response? What did they do? They sang. They sang. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That was their response to deliverance that they received from God. And then, and then sometime later, think of the children of Israel when God gave them water in the wilderness. That was quite a, quite a, a blessing. You can imagine it would be quite a blessing. But God miraculously gave them water in the wilderness, and they sang. They responded by saying, spring up. Oh well, sing ye unto it. It was a song that they sang. There's others that burst into song. Uh, we think of Hannah after God heard her desperate cry for a son. Uh, we think of Elizabeth in the New Testament, Zacharias, of Mary, those who, who, who burst into hearts of song because of what Christ had done for them, what God had done for them. You know, I'm reminded again of David there in Psalm 40, how his new song was a response to his miraculous deliverance. God had done something great for him, something that no one else could do. It was hopeless, and God came through, and he responded with a new song. He hath put a new song in my heart. And so, brothers and sisters, I say, if you have experienced spiritual deliverance, if you have been redeemed, then the new song should be bursting from your heart. The new song should be bursting from your lips. And we sing songs like that. I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed. That's one that we sing sometimes. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Once again, I say singing the new song is a wonderful means of reminding us of what God has done for us. It's how we express ourselves. We express experience. We express who God is, who we are, where we've been, where we're headed. It speaks of the power of God in our lives personally. As we think about that, why don't we just sing a verse of song together? Uh, That song, At Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. And then we'll sing the last verse as well. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Let's sing that together. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Bye. Bye.
lips. As we think about that, let me just say that when the new song is joyfully flowing from the lips, it gives authentic evidence that the Spirit of God is alive and well within an individual. It gives authentic evidence that that person is filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul speaks about that in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. He says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, he says, Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be full of wine, but be full of the Spirit. Now, in both of those situations... You are changed. (laughs) When a person is full of wine, full of alcohol, it changes them. It changes almost everything about them. In a similar way, not in the same way, in a similar way, when a person is filled with the Spirit, it also changes them. They are not the same as they used to be. You know, they, they think differently. They act differently. They sound differently. And I would agree they probably smell differently as well. But it changes a person. And so the Apostle Paul says, don't be full of alcohol, but be full of the Spirit. And then what does he say? What is the first thing that he mentions that will be different about you? I find that fascinating. He says, it's your music. It's your singing. It's, it's <laughs> something will be different about you when you're full of the Spirit It's your song. It's your song. Flowing out of a spirit-filled life will be a God-honoring song. And Paul makes that clear. And by the way, he also makes another thing clear, if, if you think about it. And that is that singing is not just a church activity. That's not what God intended. It's not just something we do when we get together as a church body. We should, our children shouldn't just associate singing with church. <laughs> no, but singing should also be associated with home, with a dad and mom who love the Lord Jesus, who have been changed. And so singing is not just a church activity, but is a spirit activity. It is the response of a person who is full of the spirit of God. Now, on the same token, I would believe that it's reasonable to question the authenticity of a person's salvation if there is no song flowing from their life. If there's no song, if there's no joyful song in their heart or on their lips, I believe it would cause us to doubt. And rightly so. Where is their song? Years ago, there was a a very noted agnostic. His name was Robert Ingersoll. I read a little bit about him. Robert Ingersoll was one who publicly scoffed at God. In fact, he would have meetings where he would call people together, and then he he would scoff publicly at God, and he would challenge God on the spot to do certain things. And and then he would wait. We're going to wait for such and such a time. And God, if you're real, you do this. And and what I read, it created such a scene that people would faint while waiting because it was so tense. It was so tense. People couldn't handle it. (laughs) 
And did God honor him? No, God wouldn't honor him. And so then he would say, see, God's not real. Nope, can't trust him. He won't listen. <laughs> anyway, that's just a little background. But anyway, when, when Robert Ingersoll passed away, I read that the printed funeral program said, there will be no singing. There will be no singing. And in response to that, someone commented, Look not for hymns, anthems, oratorios, carols, and spiritual songs among infidels, agnostics, or skeptics. Without God, without Christ, without redemption, without a divine revelation, and without hope, what have they to sing about? <laughs> there might as well be no singing. <laughs> what have they to sing about? Well, in Isaiah 65, verse 14... God says that his servants will sing for joy of heart. That's beautiful. What a beautiful contrast. God says, my servants will sing for joy of heart. That's different from the devil's servants. And so I ask you, is your heart joyful? Are you thankful for God's guidance in the past? Are you thankful for God's presence with you today? Do you notice it? Are you thankful? And are you thankful for God's promises in the future? Then sing then sing. And then we sing because Scripture commands it. We sing because Scripture commands it. Now, if there's ever a good reason to do something, I would think it would have to be this one, because the Bible says to do it. You know, of all the things that the Bible commands us to do, and the Bible commands us to do many things, as you well know. But of all the things that the Bible commands us to do, the command to sing is given many, many, many more times. Uh, just think about this a moment. There, here are some commands that we take very, very seriously. You know, things like, no killing, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, um, being thankful, because when people in the Bible weren't thankful, God killed them. You know, and we remember things like that when we tell our children that. Be thankful. And don't kill, don't steal, uh, be respectful. The Bible says be respectful. You know, that's mentioned a few times, but boy, we remember that one, you know. And, and so these are things that we teach, and these are things that we expect. And, and as parents, we're not satisfied with less. <laughs> we, we, we command these things. We demand them, perhaps. This is how it's going to be in the home. Well, I say, what about singing? What about singing? How many homes... Fail to have a song. How many homes fail to have a song? I found this interesting. Just, just uh, actually, just a day or two ago, at the bake shop, one of the girls was back in the kitchen humming as she did her work. She was humming, humming and humming. And one of the other girls said to me, "Wow, she must be feeling good." And uh, yeah, I said, "Yeah, yes, she is." Yeah. And uh, and then and then this this girl that commented that to me. She said, I just can't do that. I, I just can't do it. I just can't carry a tune in a bucket, she said. Just can't carry a tune in a bucket. And I thought about that. I, I didn't respond to her at the moment. I didn't think about it until later. But, dear people, God doesn't say that if you're able to carry tunes in your bucket, then you can sing. Then you should sing. <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. He just says, sing. <laughs> sing. <laughs> if God has done something for you, then sing. We get this tunes in a bucket thing, I, I think, and, and use it in ways that ought not be used. But I think it has holes in it. 
but we ought to sing if God has done something for us. For example, First uh, Chronicles 16, 23, Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing unto the Lord. Uh, here's one that, that we should remember. Psalm 47, 6 and 7, Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. For he is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. You know, there's many commands to sing, to sing, to sing. In fact, I... From what I read, there are more than 500 references to music in the Bible, and around 300 of them, I believe, are in reference to singing, and many of those 300 are our commands to sing. We dare not take it lightly. But I believe it clearly shows the value that God places on singing. God doesn't consider singing to be an option for the Christian. He says the Christian will sing. The one who is redeemed will sing. In his introduction to the songbook, Hymns of the Church, John D. Martin says this, The Christian who has no song is spiritually handicapped. He is spiritually handicapped. Or in other words, this person is not complete. This person is not whole. This person is not spiritually healthy if they don't have a song, if they don't have a new song. In other words, they are lacking something of vital importance. And I say, show me a church that is healthy. Show me a church that is vibrant. Show me a church that is unified, that is experiencing joy. And I will show you a church that loves to sing. I believe the two go hand in hand. There, there's a marriage there. There's a beauty there. There's health. There's vitality there. God created music for our benefit. It's not just to, to bring him honor and glory, but God, God created music for our benefit. He has designed singing to be a powerful resource in spiritual battle. And yet I wonder sometimes if singing may be one of the greatest unused resources that we have available, one of the greatest unused resources available. Uh, you know, just as no soldier should go into battle without his weapon, neither should any Christian go into spiritual battles of life without a song in their heart, without a song in their voice, in their mouth. It's a powerful resource, I say, in spiritual battle. And so we must sing. Not only does the Bible command it, but I also believe that there is special power made available to the Christian through singing. Through singing. Just two quick examples. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we have that just amazing story of where King Jehoshaphat marched a singing army against three invading nations and they won that battle without ever lifting a sword. <laughs> they won that battle by singing. And they, they put the singers out in front. That would be scary, wouldn't it? The singers were in the front. They were the soldiers. And they marched into the, that battle against these three big invading nations. And they won that battle. I think, they were, I think those invading nations were so surprised. They, I mean, I don't know what happened. But they, 
They won the victory without ever lifting a sword. And then in Acts chapter 16, we have the story of, of Paul and Silas. They're in the jail in Philippi. They're in the inner prison, and they're in bad shape, and they hurt. And yet, they're singing. And what happens when they begin singing praises to God? Now, I note it says they sang praises to God, and that's a, another translation would be hymns. They sang hymns to God. You know, maybe not just any song works. <laughs> Keep that in mind. But they sang praises to God. What happened when they sang praises to God? What the Bible says that the prisoners heard, but I'll add to that, and we know that God heard as well. God heard because he answered them by offering them deliverance in a miraculous way. When they began singing praises to God, God heard and God offered deliverance. Talk about a powerful resource in spiritual battle. That's two quick examples. Before we end yet this morning, I would just like to draw attention to the contrast in purpose. The contrast in purpose between the world song and the Christian's new song. We're thinking about purposes of the new song. And yet there is a great contrast in purpose between the world's song and the Christian's new song. You see, the world's song is designed for sensual pleasure. It's designed primarily for man's enjoyment. It's designed and created largely for entertainment. The world's song is... It's a huge, huge money-making business. The music industry, the world around, is huge. I can't remember the numbers anymore. I looked at it one time recently, but I can't remember anymore. But it's, it's either in the millions or billions a year. That's, that's the purposes of the world song. It's, it's about fleshly appeal, in short. However, the Christian song is for spiritual enrichment. Once again, Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves or speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so the Christian song is to encourage one another, spiritual enrichment in the body of believers. And now we plan to do that this afternoon in a, in a very uh, you know, planned out way for our annual hymn sing. But singing together is inspiring. Singing together is encouraging. It's edifying. It's unifying. You know, when we sing together, we realize that, you know what? We're together in this. We're not alone in our struggles. We're not alone in the trials of life. But we sing together. It binds us together. We feel a unity. We feel unified in that. The Christian song is for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever ye do, the Apostle Paul says, do all to the glory of God. Do you think that includes your music? Do you think that includes your singing? Absolutely so. Do all to the glory of God. And so all of life must be consistently challenged with the criterion, does this bring glory to God? Think about that in your life, and specifically now in your music. As you, as you, you know, you choose what you listen to. It doesn't just happen naturally, but you choose what you listen to. Does this bring glory to God? 
does this worship him? Is, is this worthy of him? Is he worthy of this? <laughs> See what I'm saying? All of life, I say, must be consistently challenged with this criterion. Does this bring glory to God? And then the Christian song is a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. And he makes it clear. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now you understand that in the Old Testament, sacrifices weren't something that you looked at just haphazardly, carelessly, not at all. God had requirements. God made it clear what he expected, and he expected the very best. That's what he expected from his people. And now the the Hebrew writer here is saying, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Let us offer him the fruit of our lips, and therefore give God your very best. In your times of singing, in your music, give him your very, very best. He's worthy of it. Not just anything sung any way pleases God. Keep that in mind. And so, while the world's song you know, often centers around the glamour of sin and immorality and selfish living and all of that, the focus of the new song is always Jesus Christ. 